if you profess to be a Christian and you don't believe in the Trinity, which, which, which means you don't settle, you don't think that it's true, you are not a Christian at all. Because that, in fact, is heretic. It's heretic. The Trinity is a teaching of the Bible that Christians of whole through all um, centuries, from the beginning. Even though, even though you will not find the word Trinity in the Bible, there are several examples and sections in the Bible from the Old Testament and, of course, the New Testament that teach us and tell us of this very true. But let me say something right off the bat. One will never fully understand the Trinity. One will never fully um, will able to explain it because it surpasses the capacity of the human mind. But tonight we're going to be looking at several things beginning with this. What the Bible does not tell us. You see, the issue of the Trinity for centuries have been of constant debate. In fact, there are people today that uh, existence of God, uh, that Jesus is the Son, and present different, I will call, theories that, that, are, her that are heresies about who God is. But when we go into the Bible, we find that the Bible doesn't tell us certain things about who God is. God himself revealed to us who he is. And he doesn't tell us three things. The Bible doesn't tell us about um, polytheism, modalism, or tritheism. You say, what is that? Polytheism. Christians don't believe in three gods. Like some would like to say that we do. If you call Jesus God, the Holy Spirit God, and God the Father God, some may say, oh, then you believe in three gods. You, are, you, are, uh, you, you, you believe in polytheism, which means the worship of many gods. The Bible doesn't say that. Modalism. We don't believe that the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit are three forms of God. We don't believe that. We don't believe that the God is like, you know, like steam, water, and ice. That sometimes appeared in different forms. No. That's modalism. And we don't believe in tritheism, which that the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are parts or pieces of God. In other words, that the Father is the third part of God, the Son is the third part of God, and the Spirit is the third part of God. The Bible doesn't say that. We don't believe in that. It does not teach that. All these three concepts or belief are against God's word and, in fact, against who God is, really is. So you might come up or come across folks like Jehovah's Witnesses, for example, 
that believe in one of these concepts, they're wrong. And we're going to dive a little bit more into that. When we say these things, when we say these things, we mean that the Trinity is, in what the Bible teaches, is this, that there is one God, the fa- there, is the, there is the Father who is God, the Son is God, the Holy Spirit is God, but there are not three gods, but only one God. The Father is not the Son, the Son is not the Spirit, the Spirit is not the Father, but each God individually, and yet they are together the one true God of the Bible. Later on, we're going to go into certain verses of, of the Bible to better explain this. But this is what we believe. That's what the Bible talks about. That's what the Bible spell out. This, the Father is God, the Son is God, the Holy Spirit is God, but there are not three gods, but only one God. And the three individual person. The Father is not the Son, the Son is not the Spirit, the Spirit is not the Father, each one is God individually, and here are together the true God of the Bible. Let's look for a definition now. What does the Bible say is the Trinity? I'll try to read it for you. The Bible teaches, the Bible teaches in one living and true God who is the creator of heaven and earth, who is eternal, almighty, unchangeable, infinite, infinitely powerful, wise, just, and holy. And the Bible also teaches that that God eternally exists in three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and that these three are God, co-equal, and co-eternal, having precisely the same nature and attributes, and worthy of precisely the same worship, confidence, and obedience. Whew, that's a lot. That's a lot. We could spend one week just trying to dissect all, all of that. So I'm going to want, I'm going to just put it in six short um, phrases that are easier to swallow or to understand. What the Bible does teach is there is one God and one only, not more. It exists in three persons. All three are equal and eternal. Worthy of equal praise and worship. Distinct yet acting in unity. And we go back and that word unity. And we're going to see how that applied to us today. And what the implication for us today. Constituting the one true God of the Bible. Now, it is interesting as you read the Bible. All these concepts and these truths does not appear in just like one section of the Bible. If you go to the book of Genesis, you go to the Old Testament, you will see that God revealed himself to his people in a certain way that revealed who he, who he was and who he, who he is. 
But with the passing of time, more information and more details were, were, were given. I think was, um, Pastor Crompton, you mentioned last week uh, when you're talking about Joseph, that he was able to, to respond the way he responded, not having even a Bible. Just because of his relationship with that God who he believed, that had revealed himself to him. Now, today, however, do you know that we have more information about God in, the, in his word than all the prophets and apostles combined? We understand more about who he is and his nature and his character and his plan more than, I would say, almost all of them that sometimes even preach and talk about things that for them was, were difficult to understand, but they receive by faith. The Trinity, this God in three persons. Is the Trinity logical? Are we doomed to just take the Trinity on faith alone? Can it be explained in any rational way? Or is it a doctrine beyond complete comprehension? The simple answer is yes, it is beyond our comprehension. But we can offer a logical explanation of how God could be three in one without violating the laws of logic and why we can't fully comprehend the Trinity. First, let's go over the doctrine of the Trinity. Christians can show the Bible teaches there is one God, God is three persons, each person is fully God. See my previous videos for more on this. Now the problem is, non-Christians argue if there is one God, then only one person can be God. If each is not the other, yet each is fully God, then this is logically impossible. Either one has to be God and the others are not, each is a third of God, or each person is a different mode or personality of one God. But this is not what scripture teaches, and it is an attempt to reduce the mind of God to a level we can fathom. Humans are attempting to make up a God they can understand, instead of what scripture teaches about a being that is not limited by our mental capacity. And this is an important point. Just because we can't fathom how God could be three in one, that doesn't mean it is not possible or logical. The problem right there. Humans try to make up a God we can understand, that they can understand. When the Bible specifically speaks of a God that is greater than anything humanly possible. I have asked some to help me out here and be ready with your Bible scripture now because we're going to look up some verses. So those who are going to help me with, with the mic will come forward, please. And those who are asked to read those verses, please help me out. Just because it is incomprehensible to the human mind, this does not mean it's not true at all. Just because I can understand it, it doesn't mean it's not true. Actually, it's totally the, the opposite. What type of God could, could that be that I could understand I, and I could, could, could explain it? Then it wouldn't be God. We're going to go by parts. Number one. Come on, click. 
Ooh, no, you'll go too far. There you go. There. Let's begin with Deuteronomy, if you have it there, 6-4. We're going to read some, some, some scriptures, and we're going to talk what the Bible tell us who God is. Let's start with persons of God, Deuteronomy 6-4. You can read it now. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. The Lord is what? One. Thank you so much. First uh, Corinthians chapter eight verse four. Who got that one? First Corinthians chapter eight verse four. Therefore, as to the eating of food offered to idols, we know that an idol has no real existence, and that there is no God but one. There is no God but what? But one. But one. Very good. You can read. <laughs> First Timothy chapter two verse five. Who got it? There you go. There is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. How many gods are there? One. One God. There is one God. And it's interesting because um, you see that in the New Test, in the Old Testament, the revelation of one God, but also you see it um, to the churches. In the New Testament, the book of Corinthians, Paul writing to the churches, he talked about one God, and also to the pastors and the leaders of those churches, he talked to Timothy about that one God. So they're all in congruence about who God is. It's one God. But let's read on. Come on, people. There you go. I'm going to leave it there. I'm going to click no more. <laughs> the Bible tells us about the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Galatians chapter 1, verse 1. Who got it? Over here. Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. What is the Father? God the Father. God the Father. So the Bible calls the Father God. Let's see John 20, 28. Over here. John 20, 28. Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. How, 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 he hung, how, how did he answer? My, my Lord. Lord and my God. So Thomas called Jesus my God. So the Son is also God. This particular I like a lot. Acts chapter 5, verse 3 and 4. Right here. It's right here. Acts chapter 5, verse 3 and 4. He got it. <laughs> but Peter said, Ananias, why hath Satan filled thine heart to lie to the Holy Ghost and to keep back part of the price of the land? While it remained, was it not thine own? And after it was sold, was it not in thine own power? Why hast thou conceived this thing in thine heart? Thou hast not lied unto men, but unto God. You see, when Ananias and, and, and Sapphira, thank you very much, um, Pastor Lardy. When Ananias and, and Sapphira kept back, some of the money, the earnings that they're supposed to, that they promised to go into the, 
into the coffers of the church and gives to the apostles, when Peter confronted them, remember what happened? The, the, the husband went first and he died and then the wife came. And then he said, you have, you, why did you lie to the Holy Spirit? And then at the end of that phrase, he said, you did not lie to man, but to God. Calling the Holy Spirit also what? God. So the Father is God, the Son is God, and the Spirit is God. All share the essence, the character of that Godhead who is God is in entirely in holiness and all his characteristics. I want us to look at some examples in the Bible. We're going to look at some examples of the Trinity in action, where we could find um, in, in the Bible instances of where you see a plurality of the divine being working together. Let's go to the Old Testament first. Remember Genesis 1-1? Anybody? In the beginning, who? God. The word for God in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, is the word Elohim, which talk of the plurality of God. That's the Hebrew word Elohim that talk of the plurality of God. But you say, well, but if I could only... Um, <clears throat> If I don't know Hebrew, how can I know that there is more than one God? And that's a very good question. That's a very good, good, good question. When you read then the passage of Genesis chapter 1, when it comes to the creation of man, what does he say? And God said, let us. He didn't say, let me, or I'm going to. He says, let us. He's talking to more than one. More than one are talking. So even if you don't know the Hebrew, just by paying attention to what you're reading, you may say, hey, wait a second. I thought it was one. Why saying us? Why the pronoun change? Could you imagine the Hebrew children and the people in the Old Testament when confronted with, with that? As they were reading, they have to question, you know, what is happening here? Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 and 27. Let us make man, he says, let us make man in our own image and likeness. And you can see the shift there. And then he says, God made man. And the word us. I think only like it from this side. There you go. Elohim. That same, that same word or that same pronoun, you could find it in the book of Genesis in several different parts. In Genesis 1:26, and God said, Let us make. In Genesis 3:22, and the Lord God said, Behold, the man is become as one of us. After, after the fall, Genesis 11, 7, and the, and the Lord said, go to let us go down. When in the Torah of Babel, so over and over, you see through um, 
the book of Genesis at the beginning of the Bible, the revelation of a, of a God that is more than just one, but still one. Sorry. There you go. One verse that is that 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 um, we find in, in the prophets is Isaiah 48 verse 16 where you can see the Trinity talking Isaiah perhaps not fully understood what he was writing here but we see that he talked about the servant Lord who had sent him the son with his Holy Spirit and we'll see the Trinity in that prophecy, in that word of Isaiah. In the New Testament, we, very fa we are very familiar with this passage in Matthew chapter 6, verse 16. This is the, um, the um, baptism of Jesus, where Jesus was present. You hear the voice of the Father. In fact, let me read it. And Jesus, when he was baptized, went up straight away out of the water, and lo, the heavens were opened unto him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lightning upon him, and lo, a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. You see, the Trinity, the three, um, um, the three persons of the Godhead in action right there at that moment. Now, this um, this um, doctrine, this truth, believe me, theologians are still spending time trying to explain it. Because for us to fatten the fact that God is three in one, is difficult and is beyond our logic and praise God that it is that way because it is a God that no man can make up because it's incomprehensible but I'm gonna try we're gonna try to illustrate it now there are a lot of different illustrations that people have used to illustrate um, the Trinity but let me say this off the bat. An infinite God cannot be fully described by a finite illustration. Cannot. So be very careful, especially when you're talking to children. Okay? Don't tell children that God is like an egg. You know, like an egg, you have the yolk, the, the shell, the yolk, and the, the, like one. Mm -mm. That's pale. Okay, don't tell children that God is like a pretzel. So I, I have heard that one. Or oh, an apple or something like that. I found one illustration that I think, again, is still going to pale. But it gives us a sense of how the design that we have in this world and this universe is based upon a Trinitarian God. And this is the universe. The universe. The universe. We can see it, we can touch it. You say, no, we cannot touch 
the universe? Of course, you're part of it. You're in this planet, right? You're part of it. You're not just floating outside the universe. We are part of the universe. Let's look at the universe for a second. The universe is made up of matter, space, and time. Those three made of the universe. You take one away, you can't have the universe at all. But guess what? Each one of them are made up of also three other sources. For example, matter is made up of mass, energy, and motion. Space, we have length, height, and breadth. Time, past, present, and future. If you take one out, you can't have it at all. Have you ever heard or read this verse? The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament show his handiwork. One may not be able to obtain salvation just by looking at the universe, or looking at the stars, or looking at the creation, but one can truly know and understand that there is a God. There's someone who created this. This design is above human comprehension. This design is, what is, is way more than we can comprehend. It is important to remember that all illustrations will fail eventually. I guarantee that some of you are thinking right there, oh no, that cannot be because the universe, the mother, I understand that. Okay? Even that illustration. But think about this. Think about Abraham when he walked out into the wilderness and looked to the skies and looked at the planets, the stars, the sun, the moon. He would say, wow, there got to be a God. There's a creator. And when you have that relationship with God, when you go to the Old Testament and you read those conversations, one of these things that they, that they proclaim and said over and over, the God who created the heavens and the earth, the God who created the heavens and the earth, the testimony of the character of who God is, was in, is in wide display in the universe because it's designed, it's designed by a, by, by this God. That Trinitarian design help us to understand the concept, to believe the concept, not to really explain it, but to try to understand it. Now, many of us at this point will be asking, okay, what all of this mean for me? What, is, what knowing that God is one God in three person mean to me? How does this truth apply to my life? What does it matter? What does it do? What does it change? How does knowing this affect 
me. For some, they may say, it really, you know, have no, um, no implications. But if you are a child of God and, and you know God, it have many implications. In fact, it's all about why we are here for. It's all about why we're here for. It's all about why we live. It's all about why this church exists. To be an image, to represent, to manifest, to show the world the true God and all his glory. I'm going to show it. I'm going to see it in the word just in a moment. But first of all, what does he do to me? When the Trinity apply, we're going to look at three examples tonight. Please go to the first Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. And look at verse 2. First Peter chapter 1 verse 2. Elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, to the sanctification of the Spirit, and to obedience, and sprinkle on the blood of Jesus Christ, grace unto you, and peace be multiplied. We, the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God, God the Spirit, all three work together in unity in order to bring to you and I salvation. Salvation. God sent his son, the son gave himself, and the spirit bring us to Jesus. All three working together. Later on, we're going to be looking at a passage in the book of John and Romans that, that give us a little bit more of this. But could you imagine? Think about this. The Trinity God, in all the splendor of who he is, that we, ca we cannot even understand, working together for a sinner like you and I, chosen by the Father, sanctified by the Spirit, sprinkled with the blood of Jesus. Without either one of those, we couldn't be saved. Not just that, but in our... In our sanctification, 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 14, if you would please. 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 14. At the end, at the end of the, um, the second letter of Corinthians, Paul says the following. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Ghost be with you all. Amen. The grace of the Lord Jesus, the love of God, and the Holy Spirit. God the Father, God the Son, work together in that process that you and I are involved today. The process of our sanctification to be able to become more and more like Jesus like his son, to be able to walk in this world according to the calling which he called us. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit influence, working, utilizing, 
every moment, every time in our life, his word for us to be sanctified to God. Go for a second to Romans chapter 8, if you would please. Romans chapter 8. Prayer. I have Ephesians there, which you could you could read it also. But look at Romans chapter eight here, if you would please. Romans chapter eight, that chapter is called um, the Jewel of the New Testament. The book of Romans, the center theme of the book of Romans is salvation. And when the writer Paul reached to Chapter 8, it gives us, it gives us a, 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 a breakdown of the relationship and the work of God, the Spirit of this, and the Son in the, in, in the life of the believer. How many of you have ever had trouble praying? One of the, that is one of the most difficult uh, 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 what you call it? Um, um, spiritual exercises that one can do. You want to follow, if you cannot sleep, you know what you should do? Don't take a pill. Just start praying. You fall asleep quickly. It's sad, but it's true. It's, it's hard to pray. It's hard to spend. And sometimes we pray and we think that two minutes and three minutes is, 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 is so long. Must, must let's try to pray for one straight hour without your mind wandering. It's difficult, isn't it? It's difficult. Listen to what Romans chapter 8 talk about how the Father and the, and the Spirit and Jesus and what is the ultimate goal for us, for those who say who believe in him. Romans chapter 8 verse 14 says, for as many have led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For you have not received the spirit of bondage, again to fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. That Spirit himself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. So there you go, the Father, God, and the Spirit working together, bearing witness to my spirit, that I am a child of God. You see, God don't want us to be doubting whether we belong to him or not. God don't want us to be, to us be thinking whether today I'm saved or, to, or, or maybe not tomorrow or I did this, maybe I lost it, so I have to do again. No, 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 no. God don't want us to live like this and that's why he gave us his spirit. So his spirit bear witness to us that we belong to him. He hold our salvation. And then he continues saying, look at this. Verse 17. And if children, then ears. Ears of God and joint ears with Christ. There you see Christ appear. Hold on a second. Joint Joint ear with Christ. You know what that means? That means that I'm before God. I'm standing in the same 
possession of Jesus Christ. He see me as righteous and holy as he is. Who said, Pastor, that could never be. I'm truly, I'm not that holy like Jesus. Well, maybe not now because we're fighting against this flesh, but in our spirit, through faith, and because of salvation, and because of the work of God, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, today we stand righteous, delivered, forgiven forever. We are his child. We are his children. We belong to him, and he wants us to know this for sure. But then he continues saying, look at this. John Earl with Christ, it so be that we suffer with him that we may be also glorified together. That word glorified is mentioned almost in every chapter in the book of Romans except in chapter 7. And in this chapter, it's going to be mentioned four times. Glorified. Seeing his glory. Giving us glory. Being glorified. The ultimate goal of God is for us to be glorified. To give us the glory that he gave his son Jesus. And that ultimate goal, you know what it is? For us to be conformed to the image of his son. And you and I cannot do it on our own. It's a work that God, the Son, and the Holy Spirit do for us and in us to be like his son, Jesus. To be glorified. To experience that glory. But he keeps and he gets better. Keep reading with me, if you would please. Verse 18. For I reckon that the suffering of this present time are not worthy to be compared with what? The glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creature waited for the manifestation of the sons of God. For the creatures, for the creature was made subject to vanity, not willingly, but by reason of him also who had subjected the same in hope. Because the creature himself also shall be dead, Deliver from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. You see it repeated there? The glorious liberty to give us glory, to be glorified. And that is going to happen when God glorified his children. For we know that the old creation groaning and travail in pain together until now. And not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit. Even we ourselves, grown within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to wit the redemption of what? Our bodies. Are you awaiting the coming of Jesus Christ? Or do you want to stay here? Do you like it here? Do you like it here? Do you like this world? Will, like, will you like to stay here? Do you like your life? Do you really like your life? Listen, I look at the mirror and I say, oh my God. I look at the mirror and I see things falling apart. And as time goes by, it don't get any better. 
It really doesn't. And looking forward, because I've seen some examples in front of me, is not going to get better at all. <laughs> but not just this body, but what about the constant battle with the flesh? Aren't you tired of that? Aren't you tired of wanting to be holy and do what is right and failing at it over and over again? Aren't you tired of having to have this pulling, this tug of war within your spirit with the, with the word of God and, and your spirit wanting to glorify God and serve God and doing the right thing and then there is the flesh that is full of envy and pride and, 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 and dissension and, 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 and strife and, and anger and all these things and you got to fight yourself. You woke up this morning and it's raining and your flesh said, oh, I want to stay in bed. I want to stay in bed. Oh, my back hurt. Let me watch it through the TV tonight. Let, let me put on the channel. My back hurt. The flesh want to create anything just to stay in bed. The spirit is saying, get up. We got to go to Sunday school. Get up. We got to go to church. Pastor's going to preach. We got to stay for a small group. Oh, but his flesh don't want that. There will be a day that all of that will be over with. There will be a day where all of that will be over with. Well, the desire of our spirit that is groaning, that is trapped in this body of flesh of sin will be able to burst out into glory and all his delight, all his pleasure will be God. Nothing else but God. But let's keep on reading. It gets better. Where was I? Verse 24. But we are saved by hope. But hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man seeth, why does he lie yet hope for? But if we hope for that we see not, then do we with patience wait for, for it. Look at it. Look at verse 26. There is where I wanted to get. Likewise, the Spirit also helps our infirmities for we know not what we should pray for as we ought but the spirit itself make intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered my friend my brother uh, do we understand is there anyone praying for us tonight today and tomorrow and every day is the Holy Spirit of God. He's making intercession for us. He said he even helps us in us prayer because we don't know what to pray for. Sometimes we pray for stuff that we shouldn't be praying for. Parents, have your children ever asked you for something that you know they shouldn't have? Or they're not ready for it? We start praying. And we pray for things. And thank God we got an interpreter. <laughs> the Holy Spirit intercedes for us. Tell God, God, what he means is this. <laughs> what he really needs is this. What he really needs is, what he really wants is this. What is really good for him is this. 
He said, with groaning that cannot be uttered. I don't want to let you read the rest because it comes to a conclusion. In fact, let's read those verses at the end. Let's let read verse 27 and 28. And he that searched the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the spirit because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. I cannot skip this. I have to say this. When we pray and we, want, and we don't know, you know, the, the Holy Spirit pray for us according to the will of God. The Holy Spirit pray that we will be in the will of God, that which is good for us in the will of God to accomplish God's will in our life. And sometimes what needs to be accomplished for us to be like, like Jesus is not something we're going to like. But it's necessary. But it's necessary because the goal is to be and be conformed to the image of his son. Then he says, and we know that all things work together for good to them who love God, to them who are called according to his purpose. You know, this verse is so, so, so many times misinterpreted and misused. Sometimes we think that all things work together for good. We think that what God means that every that He's going to turn everything to our pleasure. Everything that's going to make us smile, everything that's going to make our life easier. Not that what He's saying. All things work together for good. What good? What is the best good that you and I can have today? Or a better car, or a better house, or a bigger bank, or a bigger bank account, or good health. Is that the best? Is that the good that we can have today? No. All things work together for good. To what good? To be conformed to the image of the Son, of His Son. To be like Jesus. All things that happen in your life as a child of God, all things that happen in my life, all things that God brings His or our way, good, the good, the bad, and the ugly who work together to be like his son. Work together to be like his son. Maybe I need to be humble. Maybe God's going to need to change me and humble me. If I understand how the Trinity works, and how God working in my life, I'm not going to get angry, I'm not going to get bitter, I'm not going to want revenge, I'm not going to overly get emotional. I'm going to say, you know what, God, you know what is best for me, and help me to this to help me to be more like Jesus, to bring, to, to manifest and to show the image of your son so you could get the glory. I don't need to be right. I don't, I, I don't need to be put in a pedestal. I don't need the applause. I don't need the pardon. I just want you to get the glory out of all of this. All things work together for good. Last two verse. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be what? Conformed to the image of his son. 
that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, who he did predestinate, them he also called. And who he called, then he also justified. And who he justified, them he also glorified. Go to John, if you would, please. John chapter 17, Jesus' prayer. Jesus' prayer. If you never read that prayer, I invite you to take time to read that prayer. The Trinity teaches that even before the foundation of the world, God was having fellowship, fellowship with his own being. That's why the Bible tells us that the Father loved the Son and the Son loved the Father. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit for, have forever communicated and loved each other. In John chapter 17, verse 1, we read, These words, these words spake Jesus and lift up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour is come, glorify thy son, that thy son also may glorify thee. Do you know to what hour Jesus was referring to? The hour to go to the cross. He was asking his father to glorify him on the cross. As thou hast given him power over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as those have given him. And this is eternal life, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. I have glorified thee on the earth. I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. And now, O Father, glorify thou me with thy own self, with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. I heard years ago a poem. Um, this gentleman, I'm not going to mention his name, he got a deep voice. He delivered a poem, very strong, very powerful, very, uh, I mean, what a performance. And he had one of those deep voice, and he sounded like, wow, he wooed everybody. But you know what? The poem was wrong. Because he said the reason was about creation. And when he got to the point of when God created man, he says God saw his creation and something was missing because God was lonely. I said, oh, you were going so good. But you're messing up right there because God has never been lonely. He has never been lonely. Before the world was formed, God was in perfect communion, perfect fellowship and love with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit communicating one to another, loving and glorifying, and glorifying each other. What's a perfect, perfect relationship of God in three and one glorifying and loving 
each other. God does not need me to be happy. All right? God does not need me to feel God. And that's, this is a commercial. All right? And this is for free. This, <laughs> that's why, that's one of the problems with Christian worship today. A lot of Christian worship songs are more about the performance and the individual and less about God. And they tend to want to impress people with the, um, with the vocals and it becomes more of a performance than worship because it's about me. It's about me. Worship never should be about me. Praise should never be about me. It should always be about the only one that matters, and that's God. He always, he never be lonely. Look at verse, there is chapter 17. Go to verse 20 for a moment, as you would please. Look who applied to us. I hope you go home and read the entire prayer. But in verse 20 he says, Neither pray I for these alone, talking about his disciples, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word. Praise God, it included you and I. Those of us that will believe on him through the word and the testimony of the apostles. That they all, look at verse 21, that they all may be one, as thou, Father, and in me, and I in thee, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me, and the glory which thou gave me, I have given them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them and thou in me, that they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that thou hast sent me and have loved me, and thou as thou hast loved me. Listen, over and over it mentioned the will of God, the implication of this of the Trinity for us is that the church should be. Striving to be one and to have unity. It's not going to be the programs that are going to draw people to Christ. It's not going to be the nice buildings that draw people to Christ. It's not going to be the huge, over-the-top presentations that we may do that will bring people to Christ. Is when they see us as one, as Jesus prayed there, that we might be one, so the so the world might believe that they sent me. In this they shall know that you are my disciples, he said, if you love one another. If you love one another. So if I apply the Trinity to myself, you know what that means? The same way the Father, the Son, and the Spirit love each other, folks, I have to love you. I got to strive to love you. I got to strive to serve you. The way Jesus 
as his father and told his father the hour has come to be glorified and his way to the cross. I bring glory to God when I love others sacrificially the way God, Jesus did and God did. To maintain the unity and to love one another is the image of most great manifestation for others to know in this world who God is. And that is what God has given to the church as a ministry to the world. The Trinity should cause us to bow in humble adoration before God, who is greater than our minds could ever comprehend. Let us rejoice that we have a triune God that provides us salvation. When we were lost, when we were lost, God acted in every person of the Trinity. I was so lost that God the Father sent the Son, that the Son gave himself, and the Holy Spirit brought me to the Son. He took the Trinity to act on my behalf for me to be saved. It's because of the Trinity that today all believers can say, I am saved. It's because of the work of the ministry of the Trinity.